to another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and this is the podcast to learn how to create your dream business so you, too, can live your dream lifestyle. And you know what? I say you, too, because you're learning somebody who, from somebody who has done what it is they teach. I have created multiple six-figure businesses, and I get to live out my dream lifestyle aboard my yacht, my floating home with my wife, Stephanie, and our rusty dog, Blue. So buckle up for some truth, straight talk about what it takes to create a dream business, and on today's call, how to protect it. Today's episode is brought to you by uh, my new free Facebook group, where I personally spend a lot of time offering tips, suggestions, advice, and I actually do uh, live training Tuesdays. You can join at Dream bizgroup.com dreambizgroup.com that is in facebook so if you want to type out the long thing it's build your dream business now but um, we have over 150 small business owners that are all kind of pulling together to help each other and share and, and advice and camaraderie so it's a great group dreambizgroup.com let me introduce my guest today richard chapo Richard's been a lawyer for 24 years. He is well-known internet business lawyer, and he lives in Southern California, <laughs> so we know uh, what kind of weather he's having while well, some of the Northeast is getting snow. Anyway, Richard's philosophy is to proactively position his clients to minimize their potential exposure to lawsuits, and to this end, he provides advice to clients as large as multinational corporations and as small as hobby bloggers with an eye towards eliminating potential problem areas before lawsuits are filed. Richard is versed in a variety of Internet laws, including DMCA, Communications Decency Act, Children's Online Privacy Act, as well as FTC compliance guidelines, state privacy mandates, and recurring billing laws. All that stuff we entrepreneurs do not even want to think about, but that's uh, that's why we have Richard there. One of Richard's greatest strengths as a podcast guest is the ability to speak on legal topics without droning on in fashion. Well, that will we'll leave. We'll see if that's actually true or not. Instead of uh, discussing vague terms. Or employing scare tactics, Richard provides plenty of real-world examples and tips involving companies such as Google and Facebook, and um, I'm just looking forward to it. I've actually interviewed Richard about a year ago, so Richard, now that I've completely um, messed up your, your intro and I've challenged you to be uh, <laughs> to be everything you say you are, V, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. And I have to raise two quick things. One. I don't want to hear about the weather. We had to suffer through wind the other day. It was horrible. Uh, and two, I think that, uh, you know, if you're heading up and down the coast on your boat, you should maintain a close association with the lawyer. I'm willing to be one. Just throw a dinghy out the back. I'll be happy to glide along. <laughs> yeah, what, the, what they usually say sometimes to folks is, I'll carry your golf bags. Well, I don't golf, but some people, well, let me just ride in your dinghy. I'll go I'll go behind you. So, <laughs> so you, be the gardener. So let me ask. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you this. Um, so the main part of your practice is concentrating on internet uh, on the internet space, right? So you help a lot. I'm sure you're well versed in a lot of different areas of law. But do you concentrate most of what you do helping entrepreneurs and small business owners kind of keep their uh, keep their nose clean, so to speak? Yes, yes. My focus is, in fact, these days it's entirely uh, in the online arena. Um, so whether it's somebody who's just starting out and, and their initial business is, you know, starting a website or an app or something of that sort, um, or businesses that are turning to uh, the online environment, um, you know, a traditional brick and mortar company that, that maybe is going online, uh, there's a whole different set of regulations and rules and laws. 
And so the purpose of my practice is um, to try to, uh, you know, it's kind of the oil change situation where you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we try to try to get clients early so that, you know, we can set them up, make sure that at least for the major risks that they're out there, they're aware of what they are, and we can try to plan around them um, so that you don't end up, you know, in court and defending yourself over various laws. Um, one of the, the frustrating things with the Internet for businesses uh, and for anybody, really, is that the law is very slow to develop. Uh, and so even though we're in 2017 going into 2018, the law is still kind of coming around to issues that, you know, arose in maybe 2005. <laughs> so, right. so uh, you know, it, it can be frustrating for businesses to see some of these things that are coming out and that, that they have to deal with. Um, but if you're proactive and, and you do deal with them, um, you know, your chances of being sued are pretty small because many of your competitors will not. And so if a lawyer or a government uh, enforcement action agency is looking at uh, your site or your business compared to a competitor who's done no, no, no compliance, you know, they're often going to go for the competitor. So that's kind of our goal. You know, a year ago when I interviewed you, um, I remember asking about um, copyright infringement. And I remember a year ago there was a couple big law firms going after and, and sending threatening letters to, you know, you you, um, you mentioned it in your bio, hobby bloggers and things like that. So people grab an image, and I'm sure they have this sophisticated software that tracks, like, hey, you've used this image without permission from the owner, and you owe us either 70 bucks or $700. Has that is that still an issue, or or is that calming down somewhat? Uh, it is calming down a little bit in the sense that um, – some firms looked at it as a uh, great business model, basically, uh, because there is a lot of copyright infringement online, and people, you know, aren't really being devious when they commit it. They just don't know, so they may go to a site, see an image they like, copy it, post it to their Facebook page or something of that sort, and that is copyright infringement. Uh, and there were a couple of firms that looked at that as a potentially very profitable business model to go after, you know, basically collecting money with little effort. Uh, and you've seen some of those. Those firms back off of those models because uh, it turned out it wasn't the gold mine that they thought it was. Now, copyright infringement is still it's still you know something you don't want to do. It's still something you can be liable for. Um, so, just you know, as a general course, if you're going to take an image from somewhere, you're going to put an image on your site, on a blog post, something of that sort. You need to think about what rights do I have to use this, uh, and make sure that you know either um, you've you've got rights that you purchase from somebody or you have a license right. One of the things I encourage clients to do, particularly in this market now, is take your own photos. Um, because personalization uh, and putting yourself out there, if you're providing services personally, even if you're just providing products, you know, and you put yourself out there, there's a lot more credibility to that. I mean, if you go to a stock image site, you know, people know what stock images are. Uh, they don't really add much to your site. So I have, I have friends that have, have launched a, a bag site where they're selling these unique kind of yoga bag type things. And I keep telling them, put yourselves on there because, you know, you become the brand. You help grow that, and it adds credibility to that. So copyright infringement is definitely still a problem. It always will be. So just make sure that you you know what you're doing. But, yeah, the this situation where you saw a lot of, um, you know, the, the threatening letters uh, coming out, and, you know, they were typically $5,000. Getty Images was sending them out all the time. You've seen a lot of that kind of calm down, particularly with Getty Images because Getty Images moved, moved to a different business model. Um, so it's not, not what it was. Um, but, yeah, well, they, they have a share system now, which has really helped uh, get rid of that. So it's not what it was. Um, but, you know, make sure that if you use, you know, graphics, photos, uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, that you have a, a basis for doing so. Okay. 
So, you know, a lot of people that start a business, obviously they know they need to create a website, and, you know, most people are uh, that do Internet marketing know you need a blog and social media and this, that, and the other thing. But and I would venture to say, based on the number of people I talk to, uh, Richard, that most people don't have the first darn clue as to what legal minefields there might be. So when you say you, you, you know, you want to help protect people before lawsuits are filed and things like that, if someone came to you that, let's take me, let's say I have a coaching business and I've got any number of websites, I've got blogs, all this different stuff. What, what do you normally do? Do you have like a, a checklist that you go through to make sure I'm kind of lean and, and legal at the same time? Um, people can approach it that way. I'm, my, I do have a checklist. It's just internal. I don't. I don't have anything written out. But basically, what I'm going to do is go through and look at each of the, each of the sites, and then I'm going to talk to you. You know, what are you doing now? What did you do in the past that didn't work? And what are you planning for the future? And then based on that, you know, I have an idea just off the top of my head, having done this for so long. Is the different things you're going to you're going to need? So, for instance. Um, you know, with your coaching, whether you're signing a physical contract with them or you're doing terms and conditions, you know, you really want to talk about, you know, arbitration if there's a dispute. Um, you also have choice of forum issues. Choice of forum means where would a legal dispute be heard? Uh, and any business owner, you know, any of the listeners who use Apple products, for instance, if you go onto iTunes or whatever, um, you know, Apple's constantly making you agree to their terms. And the reason they're doing that is they're tweaking their terms all the time to their benefit. So that if there right. is a dispute or something of that sort, you know they they've tilted the, the battlefield in, in their direction, and that's what you really want to do. Uh, you know, it sounds a little harsh stating it that way, but um, you know the the fact is there are a lot of trolls out there, people who will sue for innocuous reasons. Um, you know, I recently ran into a case where somebody sued a store, and you know they were arguing that the prices that were advertised online were different than the prices that were offered in the store. And, you know, the case settled and it was, wasn't a big deal, but the difference in prices was, you know, like 10 cents. Uh, and so was that really worth, you know, a lawsuit? And, you know, the client, of course, was rolling their eyes the whole time, um, but it's something that you had to deal with. So the idea would be to look at the site and kind of get a global idea of what the, uh, you know, what the approaches are and to suggest, you know, legal changes so there are any problems. There's also the practical aspect of it, to be honest. Um, you know, with social media, social media is this, you know, Wonderful thing or awful, depending on your particular viewpoint. Right. Um, but one of the you know one of the strategies you want to build up followers. I mean, you were talking about your Facebook group. You have you know 150 people coming or whatever it is, and you know you want to grow that, and that makes sense. Um, the thing you always have to be a little concerned with as a business owner, particularly if you're the personal brand, is that you don't have control of those platforms. Uh, Facebook isn't really a big concern, but something like Instagram or Twitter can be. And the problem that you have is uh, there may be a situation where they close your account. And if you've built up 100,000 followers and, and you're making a good bit of revenue off of that, and one day your account is closed, uh, well, <laughs> goodbye. You know, there's nothing. And people come to me right. literally every week with this problem. And so how would it be closed? You're probably, you know, people would automatically think, well, I'm not going to do anything to get my account closed. And, well, that doesn't necessarily cover the issue. So let's talk about copyright. Uh, if I, you know, let's say that I'm a competitor and I hire somebody in the Philippines, let's say I'm just the worst person in the world. I hire somebody in the Philippines or some, you know, somewhere overseas to post, you know, some kind of comment to one of your Twitter posts or something of that sort. And then I serve a notice to Twitter saying, hey, this is copyright infringement. And Twitter looks at it and they say, you know, well, it could be, and they take it down. Um, under the law called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, better known as the DMCA, 
Twitter can't be held liable for that that copyright infringement because Twitter didn't post it. They're just a passive website. Um, but uh, well, they're given immunity under the DMCA for that. But that immunity comes with a price, and one of the prices is they have to comply with a certain uh, set of processes. And part of that process is what called the repeat infringer policy. Mm-hmm. Boiled down to its, its its base, what that says is, if you have an account on a social media site and you get more than perhaps two or three complaints in a year, they have to close down your account. Must close down your account or they waive their immunity from copyright infringement liability for what you post. So, again, that is must take down. They don't look at it and view it. They don't look at it and say, well, I think it's copyright infringement or it's not copyright infringement. They just take it down. Now, the larger wow. sites, YouTube and the yeah, YouTube and these groups, they will, um, you know, they've kind of abandoned that. They will actually judge it. And the reason is they have so much money that a single copyright case isn't going to hurt them, um, or even hundreds wouldn't hurt them. But for smaller sites, you know, if you're on a forum, uh, you're on uh, some kind of a niche site or somewhere where your target audience you know, really congregates, and this is, you know, the one site you want to be on, uh, if you lose that following, you lose your account, you know, you're, you're kind of killed. So one of the things you really want to do from a practical standpoint is, you know, foster followers, um, you know, on those pages, but also try to get them back to your site or to a platform you control and get them to agree to receive mail or videos or whatever it is from you um, so that if one of these sites does um, shut down your account, you know, you're not you're not left out in the cold. And the importance the thing where this happens most common is Tumblr. Uh, they do it all the time. You do see it on Facebook, not a ton. Twitter, it, it can happen. It's kind of arbitrary. Um, Instagram, it can happen. Um, so you, you know, you want to just make sure that uh, you think through the process. You know, if, how do I convert some of these people onto platforms I control so that if these accounts are closed? You know, I'm not completely messed up here. What if, what if uh, online businesses that have month-to-month recurring billing are are there any how do you are there any special uh, pitfalls we need to be aware of there? Sure, um, there's no federal law on the issue, but there are state laws. And recurring billing, just to, to be clear, is uh, you're charged monthly. So let's say you, you join a membership site or something of that sort. Um, and unfortunately, there was a, a business model out there that a lot of scammers were using where they would give you a free trial. You know, you get three days free at $3.95, and then they sign you up for, uh, you know, a monthly membership. And the problem that um, people ran into was it was nigh impossible to cancel that membership. <laughs> you couldn't find a page or anything, uh, you know, to do it. And um, so it became a big problem, and, and there would be huge chargeback fees because credit card companies were getting calls all the time. So these states pass these laws, and basically they'll say things along the line of, um, you know, specific notice needs to be given when a person signs up. So when they're signing up for that, you have to disclose, you know, what the monthly fee is going to be, um, you know, how it's going to be applied, and then most importantly, how to stop being charged, how to cancel, and there needs to be a link to a cancellation page. Um, so that people can get out of it. And that has to happen at the sign-up page, at the actual page that they sign up on your site or your app, and it has to be a confirming email that goes out to that person as well um, so that they'll have the email you know, at all times so they can come back uh, and, and click it. Now, for businesses, you really want to comply with this law because the penalties are, are, are fairly brutal. Um, in California, for instance, they argue that if you don't follow these, these um, uh, steps, uh, the payments that you receive from the customer are considered a gift, 
and under California law and under this specific law, um, the customer can ask for that gift to be returned in its entirety. And a court wow. will grant that. So, yeah, so if you've had them for a year and they're paying 49 bucks a month or 600 bucks or whatever it is at the end of the year, uh, they would get all that back plus their attorney's fees uh, and what have you. So, yeah, it becomes a little, uh, <laughs> little, little difficult. So, you know, actually complying is pretty simple. It, the important thing is just to make sure, you know, that you have that up. And, again, this is one of those situations where if you're in compliance, you know, out of 10 of your competitors, you know, probably eight or not. Um, so that if an attorney came around looking, you know, potentially uh, trying to file lawsuits uh, or the government came around looking at it, you know, you would you would probably be um, pretty safe as long as you make, you know, a decent compliance effort compared to your competitors. What about the Privacy Act, or not Privacy Act, but the privacy statement that everybody has to have? And, you know, typically it's like we will not rent or share or um, sell your information. Is that still the right thing to do or, or is that troublesome as well? Uh, in the United States, the United States is kind of an odd, uh, an odd bird when it comes to privacy because um, the word privacy doesn't actually appear in the uh, United States Constitution, um, which leads us to all the you know hot button arguments over abortion and things of this sort. Um, so there's no real federal law addressing it as a general concept. Uh, you do have state laws addressing it, and many states require. Um, that sites and apps have privacy policies. And in fact, again, from a practical standpoint, Google requires it as part of its um, 200 factors that it considers when ranking sites. So if you ever want to get you know, rankings, it would be helpful to have one up. Uh, the privacy policy itself is really something that should be written in just in clear, plain English. And basically what you want to do is cover you know, what information are you collecting, how are you securing it, how do you use it, and who do you share it with. Uh, and there are very few limits uh, in the United States as to what you actually do with it, but you do need to have the policy. Uh, and the one area that you pointed out um, that can be really problematic is um, there will be clauses that you'll see in some statements that say, you know, we do not sell, share, or rent uh, your personal information. Sounds like a noble concept, uh, but the problem is what if you go to sell your site? Um, in most cases, your email list or your customer list is going to have significant value to the buyer. And, right. You know, at that, at that point, they may be unwilling to purchase, uh, you know, your business because you you promised the users you can't, you know, you wouldn't sell, share, or rent their information. Uh, and hmm. this has gone up in front of a number of courts, and the courts have always, always decided that that statement precludes the sale of the business uh, as long as you know the user information is being transferred. Uh, the classic case of this was a phishing site or a phishing site, a dating site uh, that was called True.com. They were fairly successful. Their parent company had problems, though, and the parent company went bankrupt, and so all the, the, the sites that were run under the parent company ended up in the bankruptcy court. Another dating site called uh, plentyoffish.com, which is still up and is huge, uh, came in, and they wanted to purchase the membership database uh, for true.com. They offered $700,000, and a number of states objected to the sale, and again, it was because that, that type of statement had appeared in the true.com privacy policy. You know, we will not sell, share, or rent your information. And the court said, well, that's a contractual promise that you made to users, and it invalidated the sale. Um, and so <laughs> $700,000 disappeared, and you know, the biggest value of a dating site is its membership database. I mean, it just is. Uh, and, so if and you're so going to – yeah, so Richard, if you're going to have a uh, privacy statement, like which I think they, you're required to have, I believe, at least you know, it, it seems that way. Could, did you say um, – you know, you're, what what we agreed to is um, 
we're promised not to share sub rent, et cetera, except in the sale of the business. Is that if that statement is in there, does that make it right or okay? Uh, yes, generally. Generally, you want to look at the business, and what you want to do is identify where are we collecting personal information, how are we getting it, uh, and then you know what value would it have to you know potential buyers uh, and those kinds of issues. And then yes, you want to address those. If you put again, if you put in the, in the privacy policy, you know we won't sell, share, or rent your personal information to advertisers. However, if we sell this business or this website, you know your information will be one of the assets sold. Then yes, you're fine. You just have to include that. Uh, it's like oh, yeah, any contract. That whole thing. Okay. Right. So, so if that's in there, then yeah, you're you're good, good to go. So, um, what about um, you know what what do business owners need to know about the copyright office changes as it relates to the DMCA system? Uh, so the Digital Millennium Copyright, which we mentioned before, gives sites um, immunity from liability for content uploaded by consumers uh, or by your users. Uh, it's an incredibly important law. So if you think of Facebook of the world, Facebook has 1.4 billion accounts or whatever the number is these days. Obviously, they can't monitor all that. So the DMCA says as long as somebody, you know, if a user uploads something to Facebook, to their page on Facebook, it constitutes copyright infringement. Facebook can't be held liable. However, they have to follow a compliance process. One part of the compliance process is Facebook or any site, doesn't matter how big or small you are, you can take advantage of this law. You must designate what's called a DMCA agent. And this is a person who is designated to receive copyright complaints for your sites and for your business. And so on the site, if you go to some sites, you'll see copyright uh, or DMCA link in the footer. That's what that is. And so a copyright owner finds their stuff on your site uh, and on a site and they're unhappy. They go, they click that and they submit a complaint and it goes to the DMCA agent. Um, the Copyright Office launched a new DMCA agent registration system in December 2016. And um, it is up for one year. Well, it's going to be up permanently, uh, but it's coming up on its one-year deadline, um, its one-year anniversary. And there's a deadline on December 31st this year that if you want to maintain your uh, protection under the DMCA, you must register in the new system. So everybody who had registered in the old system, which was a horrible paper system that was in existence for 19 years, it was just a huge mess, um, your old registration does not transfer to the new system, you have to re-register, and the cost is an obscene six dollars. Uh, and you can do it online instantaneously, but you know, obviously, copyright's not the most romantic and sexy subject. Um, so myself and other attorneys in the copyright office, we are trying to get notice out to people, you know, to realize this. If you allow people to post anything to your site, even if it's just comments, go ahead and comply with this law. It costs six dollars. And you get immunity from copyright infringement for anything your users do. You know, if you ever, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this will be the best $6 investment you made in your life. Um, but, you know, go to the copyright uh, office's uh, website, copyright.gov, and you'll see a uh, notice on the homepage for it and go ahead and register. Now, the agent, um, one of the problems with the agent is the agent's name uh, and phone number and email address need to be listed. So if you're working from home, um, you know, you have kids or something of that sort, and you don't want "quote unquote" fans showing up at your home. Uh, you can use a third-party agent. Um, I own a company called DMCAagentService.com. Uh, very creative name, um, but you know, we provide agents some law firms. If you have a lawyer, your lawyer will often do it for you for free. Um, so you know, you can find alternatives to using yourself if that's a problem. But the bigger issue is, you know, December 31st. You need to register before then. After that. 
um, you know, even if you register in the old system, you lose the DMCA protections and you're wide open to whatever copyright infringement claims you know, arise from what your users are doing. So, uh, you know, really strongly encourage people to, to go and do that. Again, it's $6. Do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we're almost out of time. I'd love to squeeze one more question in. When I was preparing for the interview, I saw something about the Americans with Disability Act. Does that is that something that affects online businesses? Uh, it's been a hotly contested issue for the last decade. Um, so to understand uh, the ADA, uh, which is it's known as, is essentially a federal law, and it says that uh, businesses must create um, access uh, and usability features for people who are disabled. Um, so you'll see ramps, for instance, at stores, so disabled people can get up without having to deal with stairs and what have you. And the question has always been, well, does this apply to the Internet? Um, well, the first thing to understand is the ADA was passed in 1990. It was enacted in 1990 when the Internet didn't really exist, certainly not what it is today, not as a commercial medium. So there's been an argument about it. And um, some courts have said yes, some courts have said no, uh, and it really boils down right now to whether you have a physical location. If you have a physical location, the argument is your website is just an extension of that location, so the ADA should apply, and you need to comply with it by going uh, online and looking for you know what the current compliance requirements are. Um, and you can just do a search for ADA online compliance requirements, and there's you know, the site that details it. Most people don't want to comply with it because it's a pain in the rear. Um, and you know other courts have said, well, if you don't have a physical uh, store, physical location, uh, then you don't need to comply. So if you just started a website and that's your first business, um, you know, then the argument is that you don't need to comply. However, none of this is really binding. It's it's literally done on a case-by-case -case basis. And what we've been waiting for uh, is the Supreme Court to take the case up, a case up that would decide it because the Supreme Court would set the law, or an amendment to the law itself by Congress um, that would answer that. doesn't look like we're going to get that under this administration. Um, or the Department of Justice to come out and say yes or no, and if they say yes, you know, detail what the specific requirements are. The Department of Justice promised to do this in 2018, spring of 2018. Unfortunately, they also promised to do this spring of 2017, spring of 2016, and 2015. <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. Right. So, uh, you know, wouldn't hold your breath, uh, but who knows? Maybe they'll come out with it tomorrow for all we know. Um, so what yeah. I would recommend for listeners is to uh, go to Google Alerts and create a Google Alert for Americans with Disability Act. And, you know, just set it to uh, have links come in once a week, and Google will send you notices once a week. And trust me, if, if there's a deciding decision on it or uh, the Department of Justice acts, I'm sure there will be plenty of articles, you know, pointing that out, and you'll know, and then you'll know you need to deal with it. Gotcha. Wow, what a great interview. You really know your stuff, although I'll, I'll give you that. Richard, how can uh, people <laughs> connect with you? And, and <laughs> It's really upstairs. It's, you, you know your stuff, and I'm, I'm impressed. How can people connect with you and, and uh, learn learn more about what you do? Yes, I'm very charming at cocktail parties. Um, you can always find me at SoCal, <laughs> like Southern California, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Uh, you can do a search for Richard Chapo, C-H-A-P-O. That's a unique last name. Um, unfortunately, there's a Mexican drug lord who uses Chapo as his nickname. I'm not the same person, so if you see search results on Google about the FBI and DEA, well, that's not me. Um, but, yeah, Richard Chapo, and you can find me that way. I'll be happy to talk to you. Well, I got the same problem. If somebody puts in Jim Palmer, some old Baltimore Orioles pitcher comes up. So, I've got, you know, I guess which is better than a Mexican drug lord, I guess, right? 
I was going to say, you want to trade? <laughs> no, I'll keep my problem. You keep yours. So, Hey, Richard, <laughs> thanks, say, so, thanks gonna... so much for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Hey, folks, that wraps up this special edition of Dream Business Radio. Uh, once again, uh, be sure to join my free Facebook group called Build Your Dream Business Now. You can uh, join at dreambizgroup.com, dreambizgroup.com. Until next week, another great episode of Dream Business Radio. I am Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. <laughs>